And welcome to Bigfoot Collectors Club, the show where we talk to amazing guests about their personal paranormal history and share stories of high strangeness. I am your host, Michael McMillan. With me always is your other host, Bryce Johnson. And our super producer will be joining us hopefully soon, Mr. Riley Bray, who (laughs) is... Coming into this episode uh, from his hotel room in Mexico and is experiencing some technical difficulties, the uh, the BCC boys are international this week. We are covering all of uh, North America right now. We got oh, Riley we are, in Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm here in California holding down the fort. And, and yep. Bryce has returned to his wife's homeland of Canada. Yeah. Beautiful BC, uh, British Columbia, Canada. So yeah, up and down the old uh, North America. Are you in like a wooded area right now? Are you like somewhere where you could actually see? Yeah, no, I'm on Van. I'm on Vancouver Island. Yeah, which is also known sort of as Ape Island. So there are a lot of reports and accounts that come out of Vancouver Island. And yes, I am in a wooded area where Sasquatch could meander at, across this field at any time. Wouldn't it just be your luck that you see full on head to toe close up of Bigfoot when you don't have your camera crew around you? <laughs> Could you imagine? Yeah, that would be I don't know if they'd believe me or not. They'd be like, you know, nah, you're, not, that's you know you're not seeing him again. <laughs> like you get you get to see him once in your life. Like you see Bigfoot no, without true. the expedition Bigfoot crew around. He's not showing up on that show ever, just so you know. <laughs> So you better hope you don't see Bigfoot on this trip. Agreed. I'll have to agree with that logic. Um, <laughs> God, I now I really hope you do. Um, and you brought baby with you. Baby rode on the plane. Yes, took the dog. Oh, my gosh. It was so stressful because she's a French and you got to stuff her under the middle seat in front of you. But uh, she made it. I'm so glad she's having her. She's living her hashtag best farm life out here. Oh, she's man. Just, it's great. I love it. I'm jealous. I hope you guys have a great time. Um, All right. Well, we have two amazing guests for you guys this week. Before we bring them in, let us get to some quick clubhouse keeping. BCC Jet Ski Summer T-shirts are on sale right now in the BCCT Public Shop. Click the merch link in the show notes of today's episode or in our link tree, which you can find in our bios on Instagram at Bigfoot Collectors Club or on Twitter at Bigfoot Pod. Sorely neglected these days. Sorry, Twitter. Um, Don't forget, (laughs) you can always support the show by joining our Patreon, BCC The Other Side, where you'll get three bonus episodes every month and the choice to upgrade to our recently added ultra terrestrial tier where you'll receive exclusive soundtracks directly from the magic fingers of Mr. Riley Bray. Uh, the other side is waiting for you right now at patreon.com slash Bigfoot collectors club. And, you know, finally, please just give the show a five-star salute and drop BC a five-star review on Apple podcast. It helps BC. See, you really listeners. are. You really are in Canada because you just called our show BC and not BCC. No, I said BCC. Oh, maybe it cut out. Well, oh, maybe I cut out. Well, it helps get the show to new listeners. If you do, we might just read it on the air. 
like this one from Vomitron. <laughs> I was all in on these nerds until, until they condiment shamed me for putting ketchup on a hot dog. America is about freedom and their unwillingness to celebrate diversity and condiments is a real buzzkill. They seem pretty desperate, so I'll give them their five stars. Five stars. Thank you, Vomitron. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Of course, someone who calls themselves Vomitron would put ketchup on a hot dog. <laughs> I rest Mustard my case. Mustard only, folks. Come on. We appreciate the support, and uh, I'm sorry you have terrible taste in condiments and hot dogs. All right. Our guests today are the director and co-writers of a new horror movie, Revealer, which you can watch right now exclusively, I think, on Shudder. Please welcome to the show filmmaker Luke Boyce, and welcome back to the show screenwriter and sci-fi and fantasy author Michael Morisi. Hello. Hey, how's Hello. it going? Now, why don't you tell us who's Luke and who's Michael? Well, uh, this is Luke, Luke Boyce. <laughs> Sound a little unsure. I like that. I like that you paused. <laughs> like, wait, <laughs> was, are you sure? Yeah, <laughs> I'm used to. I'm used to all the videoing. All all these podcasts are doing zooms now, so I, well, I like this what? traditional audio. But I but nobody can see my hand raised. True. It is this this show is basically during the pandemic just become one large awkward phone call where everyone is stepping <laughs> over everyone else. So don't worry about it. But but the way God intended it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh yeah, this is Mike. <laughs> there you go. Hi Mike. Uh welcome back there to the show. You, you you were last on this series. I mean, it was in the first few months, I believe, of the podcast. You were out. Uh mm -hmm. I, I think you were on were you promoting were you promoting We Are Mayhem already, or what? What you were out here for some for some <sighs> book promotion? I can't remember which one was coming out, but uh, you you dropped in. and We discussed the Verona's UFO incident. Uh, Sans mm, Bryce. Right. That was the first episode that Bryce was not here for. Um, but uh, so this is nice. Bryce and Mike are together for the very first time. Yes, good at last. Um, <laughs> so boys, tell us a little bit about Revealer. Oh, Mike, you want to you want to go for this one? You're a little bit more succinct than I am. <laughs> yeah, uh, I can. Yeah. So Revealer, uh, as you said, is a film that we made. It is exclusively on Shudder. And it is the story it takes place in 1987 Chicago. So we're, we're in the throes of uh, the satanic panic uh, that I'm sure everyone's familiar with, especially mm -hmm. if you're watching Stranger Things right now. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> And uh, it's about a woman, uh, Angie, who's a peep show worker who works at this uh, bookstore slash peep show uh, revealers. And she has a enemy that's protesting outside, uh, Sally. And on one day in Chicago, it's especially hot. It's the middle of summer. It's July. Angie goes to do her thing. And lo and behold, uh, the apocalypse, the biblical apocalypse breaks out. Sally, who I failed to mention, I should have. Sally is also a religious protester, specifically. She's like a very Tammy Faye I mean, Michael, type. there's only like five characters in this movie. You should have remembered the other main character. <laughs> well, I like, I like how it sounds like there might be a variety of apocalypses, too. So, you know, we got to make sure this is the biblical one. This is the biblical one. Yeah. It's not the environmental apocalypse. Right. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Sally and Angie end up getting trapped in the peep show together. These, uh, this, uh, you know, odd couple. And they have to find a way to uh, 
I don't want to say escape the apocalypse, but navigate the apocalypse and and work together to to get get through this uh, get through this event. Just Love like that. all of us navigating the apocalypse, it's very relatable. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Film gets more prescient by the day. <laughs> yes. Oh, what's this I see? Oh, we are now joined by super producer Riley Bray. Welcome, Riley. Buenos dias. What's up, guys? <laughs> nice. Uh, How's Mexico, nice. buddy? It's awesome. I spent a week in Mexico City. It was mind-blowing. And then I uh, just got into Puerto Escondido today. And I'm having the time of my life. Wow. Oh, I mean, you can so hear great. it in your voice. <laughs> <laughs> my Spanish is improving. I'm eating so much ceviche and guacamole. And I, I spent the afternoon in the in- ocean. Yeah, you posted yeah. some food last night that was like looked like the most delicious food. I've, you were like hitting some, you're eating some beans, and it looked incredible. Oh yes, the dank beans. Yes, yeah, they were the incredibly, beans, that's right, incredibly oh. dank. Yeah, so the chapulinas. I don't know, maybe not for me. That's a crickets that I tried for the oh. first time. They were good, <laughs> but the legs. It's hard to get past the legs in your teeth. It's I don't know. Oh, yeah, no. Well, speaking no. of legs and teeth, we were just talking about Revealer and uh the new horror film from Luke <laughs> Boyce and Mike Marisi. And I watched it last night and it is a blast. Um and you know, it was the perfect I I don't know if, if this is just, you know, this is just sort of the luck of the way things came out. You mentioned 1987 and that satanic panic. And I had just finished Stranger Things and was jonesing for more. And this felt like the perfect aperitif to chase after watching it. So if you're if you guys are listening and jonesing for something in that in that zone, you absolutely should watch Revealer. Oh, thank you. Yeah, someone actually, I think at one point, um, called our film Sexier Things. So, <laughs> nice. nice. Yeah, love that. <laughs> um, and I won't give too much away, but I will say one of my favorite final moments in a movie in a long time, especially a horror Oh, film. wow, thank so, you. Awesome. Uh, are everyone listening at home, you should definitely check out Revealer uh, on Shudder. Um, all right, guys, let's get into it. Let's get into this whole this whole thing. Let's Luke, Mike, you're here. Now, we didn't have any BCC news really planned, but I did just want to go over this BCC news bite. Um, okay. Are, are you guys familiar? This happened today as we were recording. Are you guys familiar with the Georgia Guidestones? No. No. Ooh. Bryce, this might ring a bell from your old coast to coast listening day. So the Georgia ring Guides- a bell. I did. I did a the story of high strangeness on it. The Georgia Guidestones, do- <laughs> man. Father Rose. The- yeah. You did yeah. Georgia Guidestones. I thought you did the um, you did the Coral Castle. No, I believe I did the Georgia Guidestones as well, built by possibly the Rosicrucians. Oh, uh, somewhere out right. in. Uh, in is let me get let me see if I is it in Atlanta or something? No, near it's Atlanta? outside of Atlanta. It's in like the I forgot that we actually did the Georgia Guidestones as an episode. Yeah. That's how long we've been doing the show. Well, guess <laughs> yeah, what? Yeah. What conspiracy theorists presumably bombed it today and blew up half of it. Whoa. Oh, oh, wait, what? Well, let me just so, let me just tell Luke and Mike what the yes. what they are real quick. Yeah. They're these three concrete slabs, huge slabs. Uh, purchased by this mysterious figure with all cash who walked into a bank. And on these slabs are in 10 different languages all over the world, these sort of what to do uh, post-apocalypse, like, you Mm. know, keep your population numbers down. It's sort of like a, 
a go-to guide for what to do if if the shit hits the fan. Yeah, and it's written Speaking down in like several different languages, and and it's very mysterious object, and it's in Georgia nonetheless. What? Yeah, weird. I remember this so, episode now. Yeah. Yeah. So lately, so basically, it's sort of like it's all this stuff of like. Uh, a lot of it is like about con- conservationism and like basically if like we blow it and 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 we're trying to survive here are all the like things that we should do to like restart the population and keep the earth sustainable and one of the things in it says that they should keep we should keep the population under like 500 million so recently this has become a big thing in conspiracy theorists' uh, minds. Like, right. I think in QAnon and a lot of this other stuff that's going on, people have thought that this this is a um, a globalist, one-world government agenda, which I think it's pretty <laughs> much just a wacky outsider artist doing this stuff. But um, they've glommed onto right. it, and it's become part of the new satanic panic. And they are now there have been people calling it. There was actually a woman running for, I believe, the Georgia Senate or Congress, who's calling these the satanic guidestones, and was, <laughs> oh, good was yeah, vowing to tear it down. And she, I don't believe she won her primary. This is all off the top of my head, so I should be, I could be getting mm. some of this wrong. But today. Just earlier today, uh, somebody, they don't know who, blew up like half of the monument, bombed it, and crumbled one of the slabs. Yeah. So they they don't know. Is this dated? Do they have an idea? When did it? When were these put up? Like 1979 is when they went up, but they don't know. There's one guy out there. His name is, I believe, Mark or Mike something. And he, they were supposedly made by someone named R.C. Christian. Which is also analogous for analogous and analogous. Is that right? That's not right. Analogous for Rosicrucian, maybe. There's like a little hint that maybe this is like you, part of the yeah, Whenever you see those words RC or Christian, uh, it, it it's a direct nod to a secret society that sort of predates modern Freemasonry, a society known as the Rosicrucians, who sort of came out of Germany. Uh, after the dark ages and and how appropriate their whole message was an enlightenment of knowledge and uh anyway it might have hmm. been so, some sort of uh y- you know guy who went out on his own or had some backing from maybe a, a small group of these people here in America who who put up these these commandments uh which some you know some have like avoid petty laws and useless officials balance personal rights with social duties I'm looking at them now. Prize, truth, beauty, and love. There you go. That's that's Plato stuff. You're, so you're talking old secret society stuff here, but huh. and it's funny. Sounds that, like now old during this, Satan to me. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and so let's destroy it. So we have How gone evil. so far back. You know, it's funny. It's just, I mean, it's not funny, but man, that's unfortunate. Yeah, they just don't know awful. who paid for it, but it's near um, like one of like Georgia's largest granite cities. So like the mayor of the town's like, we love this. It shows people that like what we do here, <laughs> you know, like we make granite. <laughs> so that sucks. And hopefully uh, they get restored. Uh, but yeah, guys, conspiracy theorists, chill the fuck out. Okay. <laughs> it's a piece of art. Relax. <sighs> you know, um, I- I kind of yeah. remember when conspiracy theories were fun before the internet. Like it was yeah. like it was like a pastime, and now it sucks. Yeah, yeah. 
It yep. really sucks. So, Luke, uh, where did you grow up? And did you grow up in a an area where you, where you experienced the satanic panic firsthand and thought, well, I got to make a movie? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, boy, did I. Um, Yeah, I grew up in central Illinois. So I I'm small, really, really small town called uh, called Cisna Park. Um, It's about uh, maybe hour and a half uh, south of Chicago, Um, like 800 people in the town. uh, No stoplights, but we have four or five churches. So there you go. Um, And I was. I grew up very, very evangelical. So, um, and, and part of like a, it was a non-denominational church, but it kind of had a little Baptist in it. I would say it kind of, it was an offshoot from a Baptist church, I believe. Uh, but the, they wanted to kind of get a little bit more modern and non-denominational with it. So, um, so I, I kind of, that was like, that was my entire childhood. I don't think I, I didn't see a secular concert until I was 18. I wow. think. Um, I mean, to be yeah. fair, neither did I, but that's just because I was a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> well, the bad thing is I saw a lot of concerts, but they were all very, very, very churchy. Um, so, so yeah, it was, you know, and it, and I shouldn't, you know, I, I still watched a lot, a ton of movies growing up. I mean, it wasn't, you know, it was sort of a balance of like, you know, you're not allowed to do this, but I would do it anyway. But, you know, so um, and, and, you know, we grew up in a house where um, we had cable and stuff like that. So it wasn't it wasn't I wasn't exactly Amish per se. But um, but I do. Do you guys remember the book um, Turmoil in the Toy Box? Does that sound familiar at all? Yes, hmm. I didn't have I it, was... but yeah, I was yeah. hoping you brought you were going to bring this up. <laughs> yeah, well, we had it, and uh, boy, so my parents, my parents kind of were like, um, you know, both both kind of become became very evangelical when they got married, at, like right out of college, um, and it was kind of part of that whole uh, '80s right wing Christian boom a little bit. So mm-hmm. you know, obviously, they played right into the hands of the Satanic Panic because it was all new. Um, and, and, you know, the funny thing is now my mom is quite progressive. Um, but you know, this was, this was, you know, brand new at the time and they like really got into, uh, focus on the family and things like that. And this book, and I remember, um, tell people like what they, the book is about for those who don't, don't know Bryce. You'll okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 So turmoil in the toy box is basically a book, um, <laughs> all about how evil, uh, toys and uh saturday morning cartoons are of the no yeah that's the thing about it though is it has this cover um if you if you i encourage everyone to take a look at it it was very like this is pure 1980s satanic i'm gonna google it right now what's the name of it again it's turmoil Turmoil in the toy box box. and and the cover is like yeah it's like uh it has these sort of like this this amazing painting of all these toys oh uh, yeah like he-man's on it and the care bears and skeletor oh, they're kind of got yoda it's so fun yeah yoda. it does it does i remember looking at this like this is this this is amazing um <laughs> i want these things i want all yeah. of these <laughs> yeah so so you know and then but i remember i very vividly remember 
uh, when I was really little falling asleep with my He-Man toys. And when I woke up, they were gone. My mom no. had thrown them all away and I wasn't allowed to have anything. And I, it, it <laughs> like to this day, uh, <laughs> I, it's, like psychologically damaged me. I was so mad. And I remember finding this book many, many years later. And I still, my mom hates it when I bring it up. I, I will never, I will never let her live it down. Um, you know, because she just took it way too seriously. And she knows now that she took it seriously, but this thing is hilarious. Um, my friends and I bought a copy a few years back and we would do readings uh, of it together because it's <laughs> oh, that's just great. The amount so, that uh, oh. it would get so crazy and how it would try to, you know, make something seem satanic. That is the least satanic you could possibly think of. And what is that was, what they did? So why were toys? So yeah, I'm, I'm curious as to know what's the gist of just, uh, why were toys so bad? Why was there turmoil in the toy box? Like, who kind of, my toy box have the happiest of memories for me (laughs) (laughs) yeah no i mean i mean some of these things are the stretches are amazing but most of it is just like oh this will this is this is uh comes from the occult uh if it's magic but they talk about like um rainbow bright and rainbow bright is magic and there's maybe some occult things there there's occult things here rainbow bright's a witch yep yep there you go galaxy's a demon the crazy thing yeah. is, like, Skeletor was, I mean, arguably the most satanic looking of all, uh, <laughs> like, he's the most metal. Of, but but right. He-Man literally has a cross on his chest. Literally, the Christian symbolism <laughs> is on He-Man, and he's the good guy. You know what I mean? There's, there's a thing, I remember there's a, um, there's a line in the book where they're like, but He-Man claims he's the most powerful man in the universe. Well, how can that be? For God is the most powerful man oh, in the gosh. universe. Yeah. And it's literally, it's, it, it will just, it's anything like that. It just, it nitpicks to insane degrees to be able to scare parents into basically rejecting secular culture for their kids. Because um, at the time, this is also like the 80s, you know, you have satanic panic, but you also sort of have a rise in kind of a Christian subculture. Like it's kind of the first time that Christianity becomes commercialized to a certain degree Mm. um outside of just gospel music so that was a big thing as well um and i think you know we we kind of experienced we were you know we only listened to the christian radio for the most part we only you know there was it was a lot of this stuff so so yeah Uh, i i i remember the satanic panic very well (laughs) I, I think He-Man won that battle, but uh, the Evangelicals, uh, they might be winning the war right now, so we need to uh, watch out, everybody. Um, yeah. that's So did you, were you scared of, like, the devil when you were growing up? Did you Or did you buy oh, into yeah. any of it, or were you like, oh, this is bullshit? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, and here, the, the interesting thing about, um, about, this specific about revealer specifically was because um i remember the thing that scared me more than anything was the idea of the rapture i mean i remember um i remember they showed in church they we did they, we did like this lock-in with all the kids and they showed this movie called a thief in the night have you guys ever heard oh. of that? <laughs> oh man this is like a night late 70s christian propaganda film about the rapture essentially the rapture happens and these this woman's left behind while her husband is taken up to heaven and she has to survive the tribulation and this they showed it to this movie because they were essentially the idea was you scare children into becoming christian and uh it scared the 
living crap out of me. I remember <laughs> crying myself to sleep, just like desperately not wanting Jesus to come back. It was like for years <laughs> growing up, it was oh, the no. scariest thing I could think of. Wow. So. Because they'd like, be like, oh, he's going to come like a thief in the night. You won't know when it'll be. Yeah. You'll be sleeping and all of a sudden, you know, and it's just like, oh, my God, that's awful. So Jesus is going to break into our house and steal my parents? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and they're telling eight-year-olds, if you don't accept Jesus as your savior, you're going to be left behind. Man, that's wild. Terrifying. Mike, I can't uh, remind us where you grew up and did you deal with any of this as well? No, man. I I mean, I grew up in the city. I grew up in like in Chicago. Yeah. I grew up in the city. I grew up a Catholic. It's funny because when we did this process of making Revealer, like I realized how much, you know, a Catholic education upbringing failed me for knowing anything about religion because like, <laughs> because like Luke and Tim uh, Seely, who you know co-wrote with like and he had a similar upbringing to Luke um, in many ways and they knew like so much of this biblical stuff and the histories and I was just like uh I don't know man the commandments like I know nothing and that's the way the Catholic Church wants you to be they don't want you to know shit and they succeeded because I don't know anything I went through 12 years of Catholic school I don't know anything I know to go to church I know to feel bad about most things. That's kind of <laughs> that's kind of where you know the real knowledge begins and ends. And 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 luckily they they had so much more experience and knowledge about this that uh, that I just didn't have. It was so. I mean, also Catholicism, was, especially at that time, you know, was very lax because they were so terrified that you would not you would you know you had to go to school we went to catholic school and you're part of the parish and that's was money in the bank and if you scare people too much and people start leaving that's 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 their meal ticket you know so they're very cautious about like how far they're willing to push because they didn't want to lose your tuition basically (laughs) (laughs) that checks out yeah yeah, (laughs) meanwhile i was i like presbyterians were just sort of like I grew up in a Presbyterian church and they just it was sort of like, um, we'll put on the TV and I guess the kids can help themselves to dinner. Like, like they didn't, I felt like my church had no idea who was coming or going. Like I walked right out of there at 16 and no one no one tried to stop me. You know, like, yeah, yeah, we were I mean, we were we were so we were extremely Protestant to the point where we were. I remember being taught that even Catholics were were basically evil. I, I had the biggest crush on this Catholic girl growing up. And I was not even allowed to think about basically dating her at wow. any point, because the idea being that in, you know, Protestantism is this idea that the Catholic church doesn't want you to read the Bible, but Protestantism is basically Martin Luther going, no, God says that we're supposed to all read the Bible and interpret it ourselves. And this interpretation, you know, basically is why we have a Christo fascist, uh, society going on right now, basically. So, yeah, I think the Catholics actually had the right, right idea. <laughs> yeah, look at me. I never read the Bible. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so, did you ever have a supernatural experience growing up, Luke, that you were like, oh no, that, that you might interpret as like, there, here we go. Here comes better lock the doors tonight because here comes the thief. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. Um, not really. I think um, when I when I very late 
in my 20s when I finally kind of was bold enough to, to, to essentially leave the faith, I realized that I'd sort of been on this road for a very long time. I mean, the, ex- the, ex- the extreme nature of what I grew up in, I think, just pushed you out. And I, I kind of, I, uh, I remember, um, I remember my parents <laughs> used to buy me these apology. Are you, are you guys familiar with apologetics at all? Do you know what that is? No, no. This no. is something I think was maybe just in your world. <laughs> yes, I it's, I, I, trust me when I say I, I have a lot of useless information in my head. Um, apologetics is the the study in Christ, uh, Christianity of basically why things are the way they are. So it's it's explaining things, and a lot of it is explaining it to a non Christian. And I was so. I was so um, obsessed with trying to explain things that I was, I would constantly read these books about apologetics, you know, which, which are just sort of like, you know, ticking off my um, rational brain and realized that I, I had this rational logical brain and I needed to feed it. And, you know, in the process of trying to do that to feel comfortable in my faith, I think I eventually, just built myself up to be a skeptic. Uh, and I am still a skeptic to this day. So I haven't really, I mean, there was things definitely, um, you know, I was like always obsessed with, with, uh, with the paranormal and, and, and that kind of stuff. Um, there was certainly, my town had some interesting stuff in it for sure. Uh, that, that people love to talk about stories. There's a thing called Lantern Lane where I grew up that's a fun little paranormal story, but uh, oh, what's, yeah, right, tell I never us about, quite experienced it. Tell us about Lantern, the legend of Lantern Lane. Yeah. And I had to remind myself a little bit about it, but it's uh, there's this, there's this country road near my uh, town where if you go and you sit at a specific spot, you can see this red lantern down the road and it basically slowly comes towards you. And then at a certain point it dissipates. And oh, people will talk cool. about how you could just drive to this road and, if you're lucky on the right night, um, you could see it. And I remember I had tons of friends who said they'd seen it, but uh, but I never did. And the whole story is that it was like this years and years ago, there's this uh, farmer who went out during a storm to check on his cows and he never came back. And the wife went out to check on him. And then when this was like in the winter and then when the spring came, they went out and fought, found both bodies had been mutilated, um, had been missing all winter. And so this, the whole story is this is the, this is the farmer's lantern looking for, uh, checking on his cows, essentially. Mm. Mutilated by, uh, by what nature or by some person, some sicko? We don't, we don't know. We don't know. Wow. That's the thing. I don't, I don't know if the, I don't know if there's any part of the story that actually tries to explain it. Hmm. Actually. Well, I, I, I love a, 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 a good skeptic. I think we should all be a, somewhat skeptical about, you know, a little bit of everything. Luke, let me ask you, is there anything that moves your skepticism on on the subject of, of the paranormal? Is, 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 is the new UFO stuff that's coming out in the in the mainstream news media affecting you at all? Do you think that has any uh, truth to it or are you interested in any of that stuff? Oh, man. You know, it's weird. It's like I as as much of a skeptic as I am, I'm still pretty superstitious about things. And I, I mm. still get easily creeped out by stuff. I mean, anytime we go anywhere, I love to try to find, um, you know, the haunted tours. I've been to, I've been to some great stuff. You know, I went to the, I did the haunted tour at the Overlook and my wife and I did a, did a Jack the Ripper tour at night in London, which was just absolutely terrifying. Um, 
I had the my the best experience I ever had was at a um, Ernestine and Hazel's. Um, this is where I would say like I I got close to just being like oh something is really wrong here. Um, are you guys familiar with this at all, Ernestine no. and Hazel's in, in no, Memphis? No. So there's this. Um, it's it's like uh, one of the best dive bars in America. It's been named one of the best dive bars in America. They shot tons of movies there. They've shot Twenty One Grams. There's a bunch of scenes there, um, and there's actually um, in the in the Cameron Crow film Elizabethtown. They, there's like a, when he at, at the end of the movie when she's doing the or he's doing the Memphis or he's doing this road trip. He goes mm-hmm. there and they talk about it, and in the movie they're like go there and and um, talk to Russ and he'll tell you all these stories so my wife and I were in Memphis and we went to Ernestine Hazel and we asked for Russ just like they say in the movie and sure enough Russ Russ is the actual was the actual owner of the of the bar and um, you know nobody was in there he's used to be this like blues bar and he's got pictures everywhere of him and BB King and Elvis and all this other stuff like this place is like Memphis history in a bar basically um, and it is nasty, but, uh, the cool thing about it is the, the second floor of it is a, um, it's completely haunted. It, not, they don't, the only thing up there was Russ's office, um, but he'll take you up there and show you it was a, it was a brothel and there were all these murders there. And, you know, my wife and I went up there and it was, man, it, it was the first time I ever felt like, uh, I don't know how much I like being here. This mm. is, this is kind of sending a chill down my spine, you know, and you go through these rooms and it's just like, you can, I don't know, man, you can kind of, you just feel something is off in this place. It's just, it's just very uh, unnerving. Um, And the crazy thing is we went back, um, we went back to Memphis the year later and um, we went in and uh, you know, went in to ask for Russ again. And the bartender was like, gave us this look like, you're kidding, right? Like he, he was like angry about it. And I was like, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't, we're not from around here. What's going on. And, and Russ had, Oh, the week before that had shot himself upstairs. <gasps> no. Yeah. Wow. So wow. <laughs> I was like, Oh boy. Um, and then I just found out, I was, I was looking it up and I guess like Whoa. in, in 2019, apparently this was back. This was back in 2013 when we had okay. visited it. Okay. And we have not been back since, but in 2019, I guess they were doing some renovations and, uh, the construction crew, uh, blew a, a wall out and a shit ton of bones fell out and they don't know what they're from. A shit ton <laughs> of bones. It's <laughs> yeah, like of unknown origin straight from a movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this Whoa. place, I don't know, man, this is quite a place. That. Oof. That almost like, you know, if you're writing that movie, you're like, okay, did the dark, the darkness upstairs, like get a hold of him? You know what I mean? Not to trivialize, you know, death by suicide, but like, that's really creepy. Very Amityville horror a little bit, huh? Yeah, Yeah, for sure. For sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's a, you know, and it's amazing space. I I mean, you should, the, uh, the, you know, it's very beloved in Memphis. And I, I remember them telling me when Russ did die there was a line uh for blocks for his visitation um because people loved him so much so you know if you ever if you ever find yourself in memphis i highly encourage you to go check out this place it's it's it is it's it's a great dive bar i think playboy magazine called it like the best dive bar in america 
but it's also like just it is creepy af guys sounds like we need to get to memphis <laughs> and fun. record an episode at this place <laughs> there you go seriously yeah um and mike what about you any haunted farm stories from growing up in chicago <laughs> any ghost farmers bopping around you know your city block oh boy here we go i i actually have a story from from my Reese. i just went to tennessee we were talking before we started here um and we stopped we stopped in louisville and we stayed a few nights at this hotel the sealbeck hotel uh, which I don't know if you guys have heard of. It's one. Of, it's a. It's a very famous haunted hotel. It was. Um, it was built in 1905. Uh, and I do have some childhood stuff. And I'm a, a committed believer to ghosts. I very much uh, am of the belief that I've seen a ghost more than once. Uh, so I. I'm, I guess that makes me malleable. Like I, I go to a place and it's ready in my head that it's real. But mm-hmm. nonetheless, there's this. We're at this hotel, the Sealback, and and I and I very curiously because i would just want to know stuff talk to the manager i was like hey man you know like what so what exactly is the story like what is your take on it because the story is it's an old hotel you know this is a time when you know at this time people lived in hotels you know like it was just it was a glamorous it's an upscale hotel people live there and if you live there a lot of people die there um has a history of capone uh staying there for a long time a lot of crime uh just a lot just a very rich history to this place and a very rich, you know, very rich area, Louisville at that time, you know, of the you know early 20th century. So there's there's supposedly three ghosts. Uh, there's the lady in blue, um, who's a woman who died, uh, uh, I think 1915, 1920, something like that. There is a World War Two soldier. And there is a boy uh, with a with a ball plays in the hallways very very shining right um and the the manager's telling me these stories um and i was like you know have you have you ever experienced this and he's like very poker faced he's like yes absolutely absolutely i have i've felt things i've seen things i've heard things he's like he he said he used to work at a different hotel that was uh, also haunted uh, um forget the name of it it's in berkeley it's another very old one um but he was very convincing. And I was like, well, look, what's what's the hotbed of paranormal activity here? Like, where do you go? And he's like, the eighth floor. He's like, go to the eighth floor at night. He's like, I, you know, I can't promise anything will happen, but that's where that's where we get the most reports. And when people come here, a lot of people come and they, they want to stay. There's three rooms in particular that are the most haunted, per se. And that's where people request to stay. So I went up to the eighth floor one night after, you know, put my kids to sleep and I went up to go check it out. And like Luke was saying, like this place felt completely wrong. Like, and this was what I think Saturday. So this is not even a week ago. I felt like just, just freaked out, scared, mm-hmm. uneasy, just everything about it was wrong. And I had nothing happened. I didn't hear anything. I didn't see anything, but it felt wrong. But crazy story is the next day, I was talking to my seven-year-old and there was a point we were on the seventh floor. So we weren't on the very haunted floor, but still in the haunted locale. And there was one point that he like ran ahead of me. He was, we were coming back to our room and he ran ahead. And this, this, this hotel is like kind of like a labyrinth inside. There's like the hallway turns and then there's, there's, there's tea, there's tea halls. You know, you can go one way, you go another. So it's kind of like twisting and turning. So he was, I had a good couple of turns. 
he told me that, and he didn't know this haunted stuff. He said he saw a shape blocking the window, and he said he felt cold at the Mm -mm. moment. Oh, Mm -mm. right. (laughs) And this is unprompted. You know, like he's, you know, he he is into ghosts and stuff like that. But like he didn't, he might have picked up. There's a few signs like, hey, the lady in blue and the hotel, like the uh, uh, famous stats of the bar and famous history. So he might have picked up a little, but to have this whole story of like a shape blocking the window and feeling cold. Yeah. I don't wow. know, man. That I was like, I, I'm we're on the thank God we're on the road home because I was like, I I'm that's I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Just slightly press down harder on that accelerator. Exactly. Get out of here. Let's get home. That's wild. That's really, really wild. And you know, when you get a corroboration story like that, especially unprompted, mm-hmm. you know something's up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's and that's one oh, no better doubt. than like a that's like one better than a pet, you know. <laughs> like usually people are like, My dog <laughs> yeah. was sensing something, but like when your kid is communicating, yeah, no, I saw this, felt that, you're like, Okay, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, uh, it's good for me. It all lines up with uh, <laughs> textbook haunting symptoms. Textbook. Let's get out of here. Textbook stuff. Um, yeah, well, exactly. If you, we're going to have to take a break here in just a moment. But if you want to hear more about um, Michael's personal paranormal history and the spooky old timey carnival barker ghost that used to haunt him, then I highly suggest you check out his episode, The UFO Veronish Landing, which is all the way back in BCC episode 14. Um wow. Yeah, have you seen that carnival carnival barker lately? Any is he pop pop back up at any time? No, no, he hasn't. It was uh, I think it's specific to my uncle's house. I, I think yeah. it's I think that ghost exists in that space, and I really I for real, and I'm I don't remember exactly what I said, but I I am convinced I saw it, and and nobody can tell me otherwise. All right, I've never heard of this, so I'm going to go check it out. Yeah, check it out. It's pretty spooky. All right, we got to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to play Bullshit or Believe It, and then it's time for this week's story of high strangeness. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. All right, we're back with Luke Boyce and Mike Mike, a.k.a. Michael Maurice, (laughs) revealer. And uh, guys, there's a game that we like to play with all of our guests. Um, Listeners are going to be excited. It's been a little bit of a minute before we've done this. Uh, Since we've done this, I mean, uh, I'm going to go down a list of phenomenon. 
And if you're open to it, you're going to say, believe it. If you're not open to it, you're going to say bullshit. And if you're on the fence, you got to come down one way or the other. All right. This is rapid fire style. Not a lot, not a lot of time to think. And if we have to, we'll, we'll uh, circle back at the end. And I suddenly have marbles in my mouth. I don't know what's going on, but we'll, we'll uh, circle back. And then um, we can we can discuss any of the ones that jump out to you. Okay. Nice. Game Got it. Bullshit. Or believe it. All right. Luke, Mike, on your mark. Get set. Ghosts. Don't believe uh, bullshit. It. Bigfoot. Believe it. Bullshit. Aliens. Believe it. Uh, uh, believe it. The Bermuda Triangle. Believe it. Uh, bullshit. Parallel dimensions. <laughs> believe uh, it. Believe it. Psychic vampires. <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> uh, bullshit. Spontaneous combustion. Believe it. Believe it. Astral projection. Oh, uh, I I'm gonna go bullshit. I believe it. <laughs> a Ouija boards are a link to the other side. Bullshit. Um, my rational brain says bullshit, but I'll I'll never do it. So I don't know. Maybe maybe there's a subconscious there. I don't know. Alien abductions. Believe it. Uh, uh, believe it. Dogman. <laughs> the the day of Pilkey comic. Sort of. <laughs> I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Wait, are we, like like weekly world news. Dogman. Dogman Dog is an is a bite. It's a relatively entity. new phenomena. Yeah. It's a bipedal. It's kind of like Sasquatch, except instead okay. of like the head of a of an ape, there's that people report seeing like a long ears and a snout like a dog. And that's just I'm barely getting into it. But uh, big, oh. big. Uh, there's an entity called the Beast of Bray Road in the late '80s and early '90s in Wisconsin. All these people were seeing this basically this like wolf running around on two legs. Huh. Real bullshit on that one. Yeah. yeah, save your save, save your laughs for the next uh, couple one coming up. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Mothman, believe it. Oh, oh. Uh, I, I'm gonna uh, believe it. Yeah, because well, I love it. You've seen Sheep. the Mothman prophecies? Come on. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> Sheep Squatch. Oh, I don't know what. <laughs> There, there's where I your laughter guess. should go. <laughs> yeah, I think I can guess what this is, but I'm going to say bullshit. Bullshit, I guess. I don't know what it is. It's like a big sheep monster. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm staying with bullshit. <laughs> Sounds adorable. <laughs> Ritual magic. I believe it. Uh, bullshit. Levitation. Hmm. Bullshit. Bullshit, yeah. The healing power of crystals. Bullshit. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> We're living in a simulation. I believe it. Oh. Uh, 
I think oh, this is a tough one. I'm going to go bullshit. The government is hiding the truth about Elvis. Bullshit. Yeah, bullshit. Miracles. I believe it. Uh, that uh, that's a tough one to define. But I'll uh, let's say uh, bullshit. Reincarnation. Bullshit. Bullshit. Destiny. Bullshit. Bullshit. Life after death. Believe it. Ooh, uh, bullshit. Wow. Well done, well done guys. That was very interesting. <laughs> Hold on. I, I, that I love the double believe it after spontaneous combustion. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, oh, hardcore. Yes. Spontaneous combustion. Hardcore. As if they'd both seen it themselves. <laughs> Do it all the time, guys. <laughs> People can catch fire at any minute. Fucking believe that shit, dude. You don't even have to be anywhere near a fire source. Um, all right. Any 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 one of those you guys want to circle back to and 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 comment on? Oh man, I'm surprised. Well, I'm just a general surprise that Luke. I knew you were skeptic, but wow, man, bullshit on ghosts. You follow? Yeah, and I'm. Where'd you fall on aliens? Did you say bullshit? No, I I believe it. Yeah. What about alien abductions? What about that fire in the sky shit? Uh, mm, that's a good know, one. Yeah. Did I, what did I say? Believe it or bullshit on that one? I think I said. I think you said. I think you said believe it. I think I did. Yeah, I think I have to. I mean, if I believe in aliens, I think I got up. I don't know. I don't know. I'm too. I'm too agnostic on aliens. I guess. All right. Go. Well, you know what? Maybe your mind is going to change after this story. It's oh, I this. hope so. It's time for this week's story of high strangeness, and uh, it's Bryce's turn to tell us all his story. So, Bryce, I'm going to let you take it from here. Great. Let's do it. Well, I think you guys are going to like this one, because this next story of high strangeness was actually recommended by way of BCC Listener. I think we might have mentioned it on the Patreon's Commenters Corner. But yeah, someone wrote in, which we always recommend and welcome, about a UFO encounter and possible abduction case that took place in 1967 in Nebraska, of all places. Now, what makes this case stand out is that it happened to a state highway patrolman. Also, our BCC listener mentioned that someone had made a comic book about the encounter And there was a beer recently named after the incident. And I said to myself, okay, hold on. Why the hell haven't we done this for a story of high strangeness yet? And so here we are. Now, whether or not we can tie it to our much-talked-about summer of water, uh, that remains to be seen. But let's jump in. Oh, yeah. I forgot to mention it's BCC Jet Ski Summer. I forgot. Yeah, it's it's Jet Ski Summer, boys. Yes. You set it up. What's the name of the beer? And therefore, the incident. Oh, yeah, that's funny. Okay, so uh, let me get to that. I got to go to my notes. That was for later. But the beer is named, and uh, Riley, I think you'll like this. Speaking of dank, I think the beer was (laughs) named, oh, yeah, Star Space Dank IPA. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, Named after this supposed extraterrestrial meeting. And the comic book writer, who, of course, I'll talk more on later, uh, his name was Michael Jasorka, and he wrote an incredible 50-plus page comic book about the incident uh, that went along with an audio tape 
from the contactee Herbert Shermer himself. But I'm giving too much away. Let's jump in to this story of high strangeness. On the night of December 3rd, 1967, State Highway Patrolman Herbert Shermer, all of 22 years old, was patrolling the area around Ashland, Nebraska. He finished checking on probably the only two gas stations in town and radios back to the Wahoo Sheriff's Station to let him know that all was clear. At around 2.20 in the morning, he sees what looks like some red lights ahead. I pulled onto the highway and putting the mic down, I seen some flashing lights in front of me. First, it appeared to me as a truck. As I got closer and put the high beams of the lights on the patrol car, on this, uh, this object started raising. These, these lights started raising up in the air to about 40 feet. And it becomes very clear, very fast, this thing is no truck. The object in front of him starts to light up and raise off the ground. The lights got bigger as he got closer. Herbert Shermer described the craft. Yeah, it was shaped like a football. Very metallic, like a very shiny bumper. If you, if you polished a bumper on a car, it had a catwalk going around the center of it, which sort of circled the craft. It, it seemed like they were there were red flashing lights coming out of a porthole, and it had a reddish-orange glow coming from beneath it. I mean, it sounds I like mean, a classic saucer to me yep. right there. Mm-hmm. Classic, classic, classic CS. Yeah, peak yeah. CS. CS. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I don't know, Michael, your rendition of this officer is a little, I don't know, I'm, I'm checking his credibility as, as you're reading through it, but, but let's move on. Then. What do you mean? He's a, he's a, he's a salt-of-the-earth Nebraska guy. Well, he's got, I'm, okay. I'm playing a Nebraskan here. Well, you know, I'm right. from Kansas. Okay. This okay. is my people. Okay, I, I want to see some conviction in this. Here we go. A <laughs> beam of light. mid-story. <laughs> I felt it was very natural. All right, yeah, fine. No, you want conviction? Was. Fuck you. No, I can no, take no, a note. No, no. Here we go. I'll give you. I'll give you. Hit me up. Hit me go. Here we go. This is an event that changed his life. Here, Mike. I'm Herbert Shermer. God damn it! I'm going to tell you about this classic flying saucer. So again, you asked for it. A beam of light. I just want to let you know. I I know you're a director. I want to let you know. I can take direction. Here we go. (laughs) So then, a beam of light hits Highway Patrolman Herbert Shermer and his patrol car. Then there was this white flash that came onto me in the patrol car. It felt as if we were being pulled. We were being pulled up the side of this bank to the left of the road. I felt nothing. I, 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 at first, I felt kind of stunned and shocked. And then I felt sort of tingly. As the car and I moved up to the, up the bank to the top of this field, this object landed. And some legs came out and it sat down. I was just sitting there motionless. I couldn't move. This hatch came open. And this light came out of the hatch, and this form came down, and it looked the form of a human being, and this form started walking towards the patrol car with an object in its hand. That's much, that's much more believable. Now, Sherbert <laughs> described Sherbert described the entity as follows. They were about five foot, five foot four. <laughs> they wore grayish silver suits, and were very muscular in the shoulders and chest, slim from the waist down. They had wide mouths, flat noses, and silver copper faces. Each wore a little black box with an antenna over an ear. Now, 
as this anthropomorphic being is approaching Shermer's patrol car, another one of the beings comes down the ramp of the UFO, also carrying something in its hands. So the first being approaches Shermer's driver's side window, and with this object that Shermer described as looking like a squarish oval type thing, lens in front of it and the only thing I could think was oh my god what's gonna happen now and that's when the object emits a green light that covers the patrol car and everything in it and then as fast as the light shot out it went back in again leaving Shermer with another odd sensation a feeling of nothingness now that's when the other being started walking towards his patrol car I was sitting straight looking straight couldn't even move my head and he walked up to the car and the window was about three quarters way rolled down and he had an object in his hand a silver object that looked like a, a big pencil with a round ball on the end of it and he pressed this on the side of my neck which I felt some pain from and I said ouch and then he stepped back and I sort of sat there and he opened up the car door and just went like this And I sort of, I sort of raised up out of the patrol car and I was looking at him and he was looking at me and he said, Are you the watchman of this town? And my response, and response was, was, no, my response. <laughs> you wrote it in my response. Yes. <laughs> and my response was, yes, sir. And he said, come with me, watch me. And they start moving toward the spacecraft. Now, I want to just take a second here before it is it something that popped out to me. I don't know if, if you caught this, Michael, but here is this this detail of of these creatures holding what may be a wand or a stick or I mean, we hear it again and again. These creatures are always carrying some type of stick or wand. It's true. Uh, it's true. And more importantly, um, Luke, did you feel like I took that note? Was that better? Like if we were filming this, <laughs> would you be like, that's what I wanted? <laughs> Yeah, we might do a couple more takes. Oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> I, can, I can split I just the wanted to really, want yeah, to. I just split wanted to really yeah, yeah. split the difference. I wanted a credible sounding farmland Nebraska highway patrolman. Okay, right. but I think you're right in the pocket here. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, so. but it's true. These, these, uh, these, to your point, we see a lot of like these. In fact, in the Verona's UFO landing that we did with Michael, mm. one of these aliens had a, uh, a wand that froze a little boy in place and made him vanish. Yeah. So the yeah. stories of these alien beings having these magic wands come up time and time again. Well, and we see him in we see him in fairy lore uh, going back centuries, you know, uh, fairies with wands and, and, you know, magic folk carrying these these sticks or these wands. Anyway, so where were we? Oh, yeah. OK. So Shermer and his new friend are walking back to the spacecraft, and it was like walking on air, Shermer said. We got up to this hatch, to where you went inside the spacecraft, and we just sort of floated up to the first level. And once they were inside, of course, the being once again says, Come with me, watch me. Now at this point, Shermer floats up to what he said was the first floor of this, of this spacecraft. But now here's here's what I always find interesting, and, and you guys may find it too. Like, 
you know, they always describe these crafts as maybe being like 20 feet long and, and maybe 10 feet high. But once they get in, they always have multiple rooms or they're like three stories. They're always much bigger on the inside than yep. as they would appear on the outside. Begging the question, you know, did this guy get taken somewhere else? Uh, but anyway, so Shermer recalls going up into this spacecraft and on the first floor, he gets shown this circular room with what looked like battery cells all lining up uh, with these cords attached. And there's this sort of glowing cocoon in the middle, uh, kind of spinning around, giving off these rainbow colors. And as they move on to the second floor, he sees these, all these computer panels like he'd never seen before, buttons and lights and switches, almost as if it's like, you know, a 1980s version of what would be a, a supercomputer, you know? Uh, but yeah, it's so strange. So he sees all these panels and instrumentation and that's when they take him up to the third floor and he sees these sort of chairs these strange chairs you guys remember flight of the navigator i I yeah i imagine that the chair might be something like this but there was two of them and this alien entity he sort of waves his arm hits a switch and this screen comes on which is another theme we hear quite often and images start popping up of of a star system and he says um that he just sort of gestured back up uh and said you know he didn't say where they were. He just pointed at this star system. And then he gets this rush of down. He calls it a down. It's called a download. But he just receives this rush of information that he can only feel in his mind. Imagine just getting tons of information in less than a second, just downloaded into your brain. Anyway, this is what he thought he was getting. And, and after that, you know, it's pretty much done. He gets uh, exited out of the craft and gets walked back to his patrol car. And according to Shermer, we stopped right by the patrol car and I turned to look at him and he was looking at me. And then, then again, it felt like I was receiving input of words, some kind that I, I, I couldn't understand. And he turned, no, 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 he's, he sort of looked at his hand and then he turned and walked back to his spacecraft, floated up inside and this catwalk thing started spinning again and the lights started flashing on and off and this red orangish glow came out from underneath it and it started lifting up in the air and it just shot straight out of sight. I got back to the patrol car, I turned it around and headed for the police station. I tried to make communication but the radio was dead. I got to the station and I noticed that the wall clock in the police station said one minute after 3 a.m. Well, I went directly to the bathroom. I had to go to the bathroom. I had to go, I had to go to the bathroom. You to guess I mean. what? <laughs> drink water, Michael. He needed water. There's your connection to water. He needed a drink of water. Now, by the way, these are all Wait, Herbert Shermer. That's how this story of High Strange just ties to water. <laughs> Landed Sometimes it. that's all it takes. Now, yeah. remember, these are Sherman's actual own words that he told in a, at a UFO conference in Florida, but I wanted to point out another sort of pattern that seems to emerge again. Did you guys pick up on this? 3 a.m. thing, this middle of the night time of high strangeness. Luke and uh, Michael, I don't know if you know, but in the in 
counting stories and stories of these high strangeness tales, we often hear that these things happen around this window area late in the middle of the night, usually around 3 a.m. It's this seems to be this time of high strangeness. Yep. Um, But anyway, after just, uh, you know, getting back to the police station and sitting at the table wondering just what the fuck happened to him, Shermer lights up a cigarette and he just takes it all in. Can you imagine how good that cigarette is, that sort of after-abduction ciggy? You probably feels so, oh, so good, right? Uh, that's the best I mean, one. Think that, yeah. That's the best one. That's always the best one. So he's thinking to himself, right? Did I really just see a flying saucer? Did this really happen to me? And... You know what? There's only one, one other time cigarettes taste this good. When's that, Mr. Sherbert? Yes, Herbert. After sexual intercourse. (laughs) (laughs) We knew that. We were dancing around it. You just danced right on the floor. I don't know what I don't know what happened to me up there. You know what I'm saying, boys? (laughs) So uh, what he really what he really said was, I looked at my report log. And I remember through all the training and everything I went through that regardless of the nature of what it was, you put it in your report book because you just might need it. So I looked at my report book, I got my pen out and I wrote at 2.30 a.m. December 3rd, 1967, I saw a UFO at the junction 6 and 63, believe it or not. That's right. And a few minutes later, another officer, he comes in and he looks at Herbert's report. He says, you really going to turn that in? I mean, gee, Herb, I believe you. One time I was on my way to Wahoo, Nebraska, and I was driving down the road and I looked over and lo and behold, there were two UFOs sitting in a field and these little green men were out there walking around, waving at me. I don't think you should tell anybody, Herb, because I don't think anyone's going to believe you. As a matter of fact, you're going you're gonna to lose your job if you tell people. <laughs> to which Shermer responded. It's the truth, Paul. So now it's all starting to <laughs> And that's really, that's, he really said that, that guy, Paul. But anyway, it's all starting to hit Shermer. And on top of it, he's starting not to feel well. So he goes home and he lies in bed where he feels this pressure on his uh, body. I couldn't move my arms. You, you try to open your mouth, you can't say help. And then, and then I went off to sleep and the phone rang and it was the chief. And the chief says, get your butt down to the station right now. But Shermer can't move. So the chief says to stay put and the next thing you know, the TV, the press and newspaper catch wind of this patrolman's police report and they descend on the small police station and that's when the shit storm begins because apparently as an officer of the law a state highway patrolman you can't just write that you saw a ufo on your police report and expect everything to be okay now of course after the incident people did what people do best they ridiculed and they poked fun and while few believed patrolman Shermer and his wild tale of alien abduction the vast majority of people laughed it off too and painted patrolman Herbert Shermer with a broad brush of attention seeker, liar, schizophrenic. But what happens, what people don't understand about patrolman Herbert Shermer is that he loved his job as a highway patrolman. 
as a boy whose dad was an Air Force officer. There's only, Herbert, there's only another time that cigarettes taste this good. <laughs> it's when you get home from your job as a highway patrolman. <laughs> <laughs> now he sounds like a drunk, but I mean... I mean, oh, Bryce, okay. I'm reading this dialogue. This man is all over the place. He's all over the place. There's no punctuation. No, it's, it's true. It's, it's true. It's wild. What do, I'm, well, I'm just going with what I got to work with here. I'm sorry. You're doing great. You're doing great. Now, you know, Herbert, whose Air Force, his dad was an Air Force officer. He found himself moving around a lot. Riley, I thought you'd like that. Now, he had a hard time making friends and getting into early trouble. So the Nebraska Highway Patrol was really, you know, a saving grace for this guy. It got him off the streets, out of trouble, but better yet, into a steady paying line of work that he loved. Now, unfortunately for him, he'd only be on the job a few years before this incident happened. And ultimately, it would change the course of his entire life. Shermer's story even caught the attention of the United States Air Force, who decided to do some sniffing around of their own and sent an investigative team from the Condon Committee that came to Ashland to interview Patrolman Shermer. John Ahrens and Roy Craig were tasked with measuring the veracity of Herbert's story. Him and I had long discussions and he told me to tell my story over and over and over and over. And I, and I told it over and over and over and then they found a 25 minute time lapse in my log and John says, Herb, what happened to you between 2.30 a.m. December 3rd, 1967 and 3 a.m.? And I looked at him and I couldn't say anything because I didn't remember. So he says, you gotta come to Boulder, Herb. And that's exactly what he did. They flew Patrolman Shermer out to the University of Colorado where the Condon Committee was located at that time. Now here's a little refresher. For those who don't remember what the Condon Committee was, it was an informal That's name. Ninety-nine percent of the people yes. listening right now. <laughs> it was and an, co-hosting the show. Yeah. Producing. It, sure, sure. It was an informal name of the University of Colorado's UFO Project, a group that was funded by the U.S. Air Force from '66 to '68 at the University of Colorado to study unidentified flying objects under the directions of physicist Edward Condon. It was almost like an arm to Project Blue Book. Now, on February 13th, 1968, Shermer would undergo regressive hypnosis administered by psychologist Dr. Leo Sprinkle, uh, a researcher of <laughs> UFO contactee experiences out of the University of Wyoming. Now, it was in these sessions that Patrolman Shermer would recall in great detail his interactions with these strange beings and his tour aboard their craft and perhaps even outer space. But what we'll never know is the full goings-ons of just what happened because there were still blank spots in Herbert's memory that even Dr. Sprinkle couldn't gain access to. Even Dr. Sprinkle couldn't get in there? <laughs> That's right. Now, through the Dr. tough Sprinkle, times- Dr. Sprinkle, the brain tickler? Yes, yeah. <laughs> we talked about Sprinkle. He's a legend, yes, legend in the game. I, I mean, legend he's in my the game. Now, favorite C-list Batman villain. Through the tough times, <laughs> Officer Shermer never wavered. He never changed his story, and there were tough times, believe me, because the incident, Patrolman Herbert Shermer suffered greatly for coming forth with his truth. I went to my father, and I said, 
Dad, I said, uh, I know you have 20 or something years in the Air Force, but I just asked my father point blank. I said, Dad, what do you think of the UFOs? My father never said no, and he never said yes. He just said, Son, if you're telling the truth, stick with it. And so I stuck with it. <laughs> And, and that's it. That's the story of Herbert Shermer and his encounter with these strange beings from gosh knows where. Wow. So what do you think? I mean, first of all, Luke, I felt like, you know, that last one was just a bit of a fun run for me. So we can take that back. If you want. <laughs> yeah, no, that's okay. Um, I think there's some usable stuff in there. Um, Mike, Luke. What do you think about Shermer and his and his magical UFO experience? <laughs> I, how can you argue with it? I mean, I'm sold. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough because like, you know, it's tough because like the thing is, you have to wonder. And I'm sure you guys have had the same question, but you have to wonder: is it the same story more or less? Like you guys pointed out, like. They always have this certain object and it's always bigger on the inside and it always ship looks the same and, and mm. et cetera. But like you have to wonder, are the stories the same because it's like this cultural osmosis or cultural just repetition and parroting mm. or, and all that? Or the story is the same because because it's just this is just what they look like and it's real. It's like if you just mm. ten people describe the Buick, well, you're gonna get a picture of a Buick, you know? Yeah, like right. And, it's, and the, the way he describes it is so like, yeah, this is this is it's an alien craft, duh, you know? Like, right. or you could say like, oh boy, it's it's you know, it's the but same old thing that everybody else describes. I would point to the incident with your son, right? That he's like, I saw a dark shape and I felt cold, just like. A seven-year-old kid pulling stereotypical ghost stuff out of, you know, just at, over the breakfast table. You know what I mean? Or where I forget or your guys are on the way home. But so I think that maybe it's an indication that there's some consistency between these encounters and that it's not, you know, um, maybe that we're just recycling the same thing over and over again. You know, I agree. That, I mean, I, that's, you know? I fall on that side, you know, like, especially at that time, you know, it's like, what, what do you say? 1967? Yeah. Right? And this, mm -hmm. Yeah. And mm -hmm. this guy's not reading Fate magazine. He's not reading Flyers, right. Flying Saucer Weekly, you know? Right. Exactly. You know, like information traveled at a much different, different pace, you know, than if it traveled at all. So, like, you have to kind of take that in consideration, too. I mean, I fall. Yeah, I fell on the side. Like, yeah, yeah, for sure happened. I feel like we're skipping right over Paul's story about seeing little men, silver men wave at him in a field. <laughs> right? I know. It's like, oh, my gosh. I know. That was such a, a strange thing. But, you know, that so was in the, that is part of the – yeah, so cavalier about it. That was in the comic and that was at the – you know, part of his speaking at the, at this conference in Florida. Here's the thing, you know, I think you guys are right. Is he just describing an, an incident that as he experienced it? Um, I think so, because I'll tell you why. He really had nothing to gain from this. There wasn't any monetary gain. He didn't gain any amount of, of fame or anything. As a matter of fact, this, this UFO story went uh, relatively, got stuffed back into old case files. It wasn't until this brewery and this this young comic book writer decided to write about it, it that I caught wind of it. But but it's a it what 
what's intriguing about it is, you know, you have a trained observer like a highway patrolman uh, who writes this down exactly as he saw it in his report book. And, uh, and, you know, and he gets burned at the stake for it, for lack of a better word. So there was a lot at stake for this guy. He lost his family, lost his job, all because he wanted to just stick with his truth of what he experienced. Now, whether he experienced an actual, you know, metallic ship with strange buttons and lights and three floors with a, with a futuristic television screen, I don't know. Uh, was there a mystical experience or some type of experience? I, I do think so. Um, I'm not sure what it was, but man, something happened to him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I love it whenever somebody's story just stays consistent over the years as well. Good stuff, yeah. Bryce. Amazing. Well, uh, Michael, Luke, we have come to the end of this episode. Where can people find Revealer? And then where can people find other stuff that you're working on? Oh man! Uh, well, Revealer is ex- uh, exclusively on Shutter right now, um, and shall be for a bit. Uh, but it will be on Blu-ray eventually, and uh, Amazon and iTunes and all that other good stuff eventually. But uh, for now, uh, you can you can find it at Shutter. And for people who may not know, you can get like I I subscribe to Shutter. Uh, through Amazon Prime. I think it's like five bucks yeah. a month, maybe. So that's so I basically it's just a portal in my Amazon Prime subscription. So that's where I get Shutter. Yeah, and I think you AMC Plus as well. You can get it you can get it through AMC Plus if, if if you've got that. And I think you can also get that through Amazon. Great. Michael, what do you got? Yeah. Um, you know, we have well Luke and I together, uh there's a there's a revealer tying comic that's coming out uh in August. So we have we have that together and I have um my comic series Barbaric. Oh uh, so good, guys. Get this comic <laughs> book. It's one of the most entertaining comics you will read this year, I swear to God. It's the best. Oh, thank you, man. Thank you. <laughs> I I I I love working on that book. It's just utter joy uh and catharsis. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. I can imagine. Uh, <laughs> and that that returns actually next week or depending on when this is released Ju- july uh 13th yeah well july it'll have been then is- then last week so better i hopefully you got your copy or run in and get order a second copy or a second printing because it's gonna go fast it's popular yeah hopefully yeah so yeah that that's you got a little uh, one shot return, then the the full blown series returns in August as well. Awesome. So we're Congrats. we're full on with a lot of barbaric coming out, which I'm excited. We had a, we had a long break, and I'm glad we're back. Great, uh, Riley. What do you got? I mean, I just want to plug uh, our Patreon on the other side, <laughs> Me- Mexico in general. It's awesome. You should come here. Uh, it was so nice to get out of America. No, uh, well, actually, though, speaking of Mexico and. Uh, the Patreon and specifically the cosmic tier of the other side. While I was in Mexico, I was walking around taking little uh, field recordings. Of, there's just music everywhere. And I created this sort of soundscape that's like a, a walk through Mexico City. So that is Whoa. something that I'm going to be posting uh, to one, as one of my sort of ambient pieces. It's like uh, the music of the air kind of thing. So I'm doing all sorts of stuff like that on the tier. It's ambient music. It's demos. It's it's music from the show. Um, and it all kind of relates to that. There's even uh, in this recording, it ends with a walk down a haunted alley uh, where uh, it's supposed to be haunted by a child ghost. And we were walking down this alley in a thunderstorm at dusk. And uh, it's a, it's just a, 
know, it's an interesting little piece I'm working on. So you can hear that and a lot more on the uh, the cosmic tier of the other side. Nine bucks a month, five bucks a month if you just want the regular. So just you know, get go supersize it. You know, treat yourself. Love it, Bryce. What do you got? Hey, don't worry if you missed Expedition Bigfoot on Linear Travel Channel. Go check it out on Discovery+. Plus. We have all three seasons up there for your viewing pleasure. Check it out. Love it. Um, check out season one of Slate Your Name, my other podcast, which is available right now wherever you get your podcasts. And also, I'm in an episode of For All Mankind on Apple TV+. Plus. It should have dropped by the time you're listening to this uh it should be season three episode six so check that out as well uh michael marisi luke boyce thank you so much for being on the thank show you boys. thank uh, you boys thank you this is amazing congrats John, on thank the you movie. for having us yes thank you for being here everyone go check out revealer um we'll be back next week with another episode of bcc until then good night and like dr sprinkle would recommend go get regressed now I definitely don't want to do it. <laughs> I'm the Leon Sprinkle. Bigfoot Collectors Club is produced by Riley Bray and Michael McMillan and scored and engineered by Riley Bray. Our theme song, Come Alone, is by Sun Eaters, courtesy of Lotus Pool Records. Do us a favor and support the show and unlock three bonus episodes every month by becoming a member of our Patreon, BCC The Other Side, which can be found at patreon.com slash Bigfoot Collectors Club. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch, involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati, and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes. Hey guys, Heather Ashley here, host of the Big Mad True Crime Podcast. If you're looking for a true crime podcast with all of the details and none of the small talk, you have found your people. Each week, we dive deep into a new case and learn everything there is to know, from getting to know the victim and the impact their cases had on those around them, to the investigation into what happened to them and who is or might be responsible. And if the bad guy looks like he might drink whiskey by a dumpster or has the social skills of an ogre, we say it because we were all thinking it anyway. As the name suggests, we get big mad over true crime, and I would love to have you join our incredible community of listeners with big hearts and zero time for small talk. Subscribe to Big Mad True Crime anywhere you listen to podcasts and listen to new episodes every single Monday.